talk tonight about warring against weakness. You can open your Bibles to Galatians 6 and 2 Thessalonians 3. Galatians 6 and 2 Thessalonians 3. Warring against weakness. Or weariness, rather. Did I say weakness? Warring against weariness, not weakness. Warring against weariness. Second Thessalonians 3, and the specific verse is 13, and Galatians 6, verse 9. Galatians 6, 9, 2 Thessalonians 3, 13. And as you continue to look, I'm just going to pray. Father, uh, help us, dear Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. We can't do this without you. Your word is spirit and life. And I pray, God, that you would open us up to receive it. God, not just to be hearers, God, but to determine to do what we hear. In Jesus' name, amen. First, a little by way of introduction, doing what is right is not always easy. Have you found that to be true? I have found it to be true. I don't know if this is original. I don't think I've ever heard it before, but this just came to me today. The right thing to do is the right things to do is to always do the right thing. The right thing to do is to always do the right thing. I'll say that again because it's kind of weird. You have to kind of catch that. The right thing to do is to always do the right thing. Doing what is right once or twice or sporadically whenever we choose to is easy because we can pick and choose what and when we will do. To do right all the time can be fatiguing. Have you ever experienced that? There's things you know you need to do, things you know you must do, and and you just kind of run out of strength trying to keep up with it all. Still, we need to do what is right all the time. Because the right thing to do is to always do the right thing. Now, the two passages that I've given you are exhortations that encourage us to not grow weary in doing good. Or in Galatians chapter 6, verse 9, the scripture reads, So let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. And then in 2 Thessalonians 3.13, it says, But ye, brethren, be not weary in well-doing. Now, in my study of these passages before, I'd never really looked at them together. I know that they're very similar because they both exhort us to not grow weary in doing what is good or what is right. Now, I'm going to testify to you. I'm going to confess to you that I have been in a battle in this area for for quite some time. And uh, I'm not talking about what we would call spiritual things. I'm talking about life. How many of you know that sometimes just doing what is right, that excellent thing in life, is hard? 
that we can let down. And I'm going to preface everything that is said tonight that, and I'm going to say that phrase again, the right thing to do is to always do what's right. So when the Bible says don't grow weary in doing what is good or what is right, it is what is right is to always do what is right. So what we are being encouraged to do is to live a life of excellence. Now that is a buzzword in our culture, especially in church culture. We hear it a lot. We hear it in business a lot. As they train uh, their employees and executives, uh, they try and keep them in this mindset of excellence. What is excellence? Excellence is just a word that means, it's the root word is excel, which means to go beyond. Means to go beyond. That's all it means. Excel, to go past. It's like the Bible said, if your brother asks for your, uh, your shirt, give him your coat too. If he asks you to walk a mile with him, walk too. This is the attitude of the kingdom. This is the attitude of Christ. This is excellence. Excellence is going above and beyond. Now, in my Christian life, and I was saved early, filled with the Holy Spirit, God just done, um, I've been blessed by God to know Him. And I'm not gifted in any particular way. Some people would say musically, perhaps. I, okay, I do some things musically, but I mean, I'm just, I'm not a gifted individual. I'm just a person. Uh, you have your gifts. You have your strengths like I do. And so what I'm about to say has nothing to do with that. I'm not exceptional in any way. But I have had this desire to excel, to have the best, to be the best. And I believed, past tense, that that was possible. And I went for it, and I, ch I challenged myself, and I always had that sort of inner drive. But in the last decade or so, that has come under assault. That excellence, the spirit of excellence. How many of you know, let me, let, me, let me rephrase. How many of you would equate excellence with God or how many of you would equate excellence with Satan? The idea of excellence. Well, actually it can be attributed to both. But in the true pure sense of the word, it is only to God. Because excellence is also has an upward notion to it. Now, in terms of excellence, I know some people who are excellent sinners. They go above and beyond. <laughs> they know how to do it. But really, excellence is a statement that regard, is uh, related and is a virtuous thing as well. It has to do with moral. There's a thing called moral excellence, where we have a mindset like God. See, God is infinite. There is no limit, there is no end to who He is. And we are created in His image. And the very, His very person, the Holy Spirit, lives inside of us. So when you think about infinity, we are finite, we have limits on who we are, how far we can go, and how many places we can be, and how long we can live in these old bodies. But God is infinite. And I've talked about this. We can start walking in any one direction. And we will never reach the end of God. We will never reach the end of where He is. We will never tap it out. 
Doesn't that sound like excelling? We are constantly moving forward. We're constantly moving upward. We're constantly looking for that next thing. This is God. Now, let's just talk about some of the visions that God has given us as a body. Unity in the body of Christ in our city. That's a big, tall, that's a tall order. Unity requires, if you only have two people, it requires them to agree. The Bible says, how can two walk together unless they be agreed? So imagine 70,000. How do you get 70,000 agreed? We say, well, they're not all in the church. Well, that brings us to the second part of our vision. God wants to save every person in the city. No one left behind. You say, those are crazy. How do you do? They're excellent visions. These are visions that come from God because there's no way in the mind of man that we know how to do this. And as noble as they are, we can set ourselves to do them and we will not be able to accomplish them because these are things that only God can do. And yet we are challenged by God to pursue them. Now, I want to talk for just a little bit about maintaining excellence in the things of life that seem to have nothing to do with God's kingdom. Just living life. The Bible says that if you're faithful in the little things, that God will give you larger or more, right? You all know Jesus taught that. If you're faithful in that which is small, I will give you something great. So there's that person, there's that principle first. Faithful in the little things, ruler of much. There's the other statement that Jesus said that he who is faithful... In unrighteous mammon, or excuse me, let me, let me rephrase. Let me, let me rephrase. If you are not faithful in unrighteous mammon, who then will account to your stewardship those things that are spiritual? So we have these two things. We have uh, one of these, uh, the, 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 we have this principle that says if we will be faithful in something that's little and seemingly insignificant, God will give us something that is. And then the Bible says also that if we're not faithful in those things that are insignificant, God will not give us the significant things. So, how important then is it for us to develop the discipline and the strength to be faithful in the mundane things of this life that are set before us? Very important. Because a mindset... Do you realize that the war that we are fighting is a war... In the mind, it's a war of thoughts. Second Corinthians 10.5 says that we are to cast down every thought and imagination that exalts itself against the knowledge or the knowledge that comes from God. And all of us are in a war there. God has set and laid out in His Word this, uh, it, this beautiful thing that is it's just paper and ink, but it contains the launching pad to find all that is in God. And it tells us how to live life and what to do. And it is the Word of God. Now, the enemy and this world is constantly at work through media and through our friends and those our unbelieving friends and even some of our believing friends who don't fellowship with the God through His Holy Spirit and through His Word, trying to convince us to live in a way or to think in a way contrary to what God has laid out. Well, what has God laid out for us to do? Well, God has laid out for us this. He said that we are to be disciple makers. 
And in being disciple makers, he said, you're going to cast out demons. You're going to lay hands on the sick, and they're going to get healed. And you're going to baptize them. They're going to lay hands and baptize them in the Holy Spirit. They're going to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Okay, this is what we're called to do. Now, we believe, and I believe Christy, the hope that she's feeling is talking about what God wants to do here. I believe God wants to do great things in the church in our city, of which we are a part. We have a part to play in that. But in order for us to achieve or to see those things that God has for us, I believe that there are some really mundane things that we are battling right now that are really preparatory. They are preparing us to possess the things that are great. The financial struggles, the health struggles, the living daily life, the staying faithful to tithes and offerings and to the service of the body of Christ in fellowship at a church. All of these things that the Bible teaches, they're mundane, don't they? Paying your bills, doing things excellently there, staying out of debt. I said, this all sounds really mundane, kind of boring. What does this have to do with my spirituality? It has everything to do with our spirituality. Remember, if you're not faithful and unrighteous mammon, who will account into your stewardship spiritual matters? Who's going to do it? Why? What Jesus is saying there, why would I trust into someone's care something of infinite worth when they can't even manage the things that are finite? It's an interesting question, isn't it? Have you ever thought about this before? Have you ever thought about the way you handle life, your mindset to life? Now, it's not how, it's not how effective you are or how perfect you are. It's really your mindset toward it. Because I'm not perfect and never have been in anything I've done. But I always manage to have a mindset to want or to pursue that which is the best. I fell short and fall short in most of it. But my mindset was always to go for the best. And I'm not talking about gold and silver. I'm talking about what God defines as the best. What is God's idea about what is best? And you know, God has something to say about that. Now, the point of the message is not to draw those things out of the Word. We could be here for the rest of our life. But... Paul, in writing both to the Galatian church and the Thessalonian church, encourages those people there to not become weary in doing good. Now, the first thing, I, I've never noticed this before because I've never looked at them together, but in Galatians 6.1, the first thing we see in that case, in Galatians 6.1, we are exhorted... To not grow weary, or not in six one, but in six nine, we are exhorted, don't grow weary in doing good. But in Galatians six, the context is in regard to helping those who can't. Weariness can arise from helping those who can't. How many of you know what I'm talking about there? God said, "The poor you will always." Jesus said, "The poor you will always have with you." And He's not talking because. We'll get in Thessalonians in a little bit there, but the Bible says if you don't want to work, you don't need to eat. If you're going to live this life, you've got to carry your weight. 
There's a principle there. This is at the very base. This is baseline excellence 101. That's the starting point. God says, you got. You remember when Adam and Eve were, um, the angel uh, the, with the flaming sword was posted at the entry to Eden, and they were uh, removed from the garden so that they would not eat of that tree of life and live forever in their sin. That was a gracious move on God's part. People said he was angry at men. No, God is not angry with us. God is not angry with us. God loves us. He created us out of love so that he could love us and we could love him in return. And he's given us the choice to do that. But when they got outside the garden, God said, it said that God cursed the ground and then made this proclamation that, man, by the sweat of your brow, you're going to eat. God didn't do that because he was mad at us. He did it because we need it. We need to work. We need to have an attitude that says, I am going to set my mind to something and I'm going to achieve it. I'm going to get it done. Have you noticed how many ways there is in life for people to get by, to make a living? Some noble, some not. There are some ways that people get through life that don't bring honor to God. They don't honor His Word. But there are many ways to get through life to make an honorable, noble living. It doesn't really matter how you do it. I mean, I've seen some really creative ways. I, said, I would never have thought of a way. I, I wouldn't have thought that you could make money doing that. I wouldn't have thought you could make a living like that. And yet they do. It's not really so important what you do as the fact that you go after it. That you don't wait for somebody else to pick up your slack. But in this case, that's not who Paul is referring to. In Galatians 6, he starts off by saying, If a man be overtaken in a fault, you who are spiritual or mature in the faith, restore that one in the spirit of meekness. In other words, don't go in there all like you've got it all together, because if you do, it says in the next part, Consider yourself, lest thou also be tempted. I have personal testimony of a thing where a brother drew me in and wanted me to help him on a certain matter, and I found myself getting sucked right in to the very thing. I wanted to be a help, but I didn't stop and say, hey, wait a minute. I need to consider myself. I need to look at myself first. I committed and said, yeah, brother, I'll help you. And I didn't stop to say, well, can I? Lord, show me. Is there a place in me that I shouldn't be connecting to this? And I started feeling the draw and getting sucked into that. Well, God, help me. But I learned what it means here when it says, consider yourself. It says, go to God and ask Him, Lord, show me my heart. You know, we talk about, the Scripture says, only God knows the heart of a man. We might think we know our heart, but we don't. Only God. It's deceitfully wicked. Our heart is deceitfully wicked above all things. So he admonishes here and says that if we find our brother in a fault, to restore them. The church has been known as the only army in the world that kills its wounded. That's been the reputation we have. If you can't live it, if you can't get it together, then we'll just put a 45 through your head and get it over with for you. That is not what God has in mind. It's easier? Yeah. But that's not what God called us to. See, this whole thing about coming to church with your Sunday best on and living this outward thing, and you can come to our church if you can get it together and look like the rest of us, that's, that's all gone. Oh, it still exists in the world, but God is not tolerating it. Not anymore. What God is doing, He's getting a hold of people, and we're learning how to love those who are unlovable. 
But he says, these folks who are fallen, restore them. Don't kick them out. Then in verse 2 it says, bear you one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. What is he referring to there, the law of Christ? I uh, Immediately, the, when I read this some, I don't know how long ago this was, I said, I had the question, Holy Spirit asked the question, what is the law of Christ? Well, you know, I think I know where that is. It's in, um, oh, I didn't write the passage down. Matthew, and I didn't write it down. Uh, but it's where Jesus has, he's asked, I know it's verse 36 through 40. <laughs> Master, which is the great commandment in the law? So he had one of the lawyers coming, one of the scribes or the Pharisees, coming to him to tempt him. See, because Jesus is bringing something on, he's really challenging all these legalists. And he's bringing a new way. So this guy comes and says, which is the greatest law? Hoping to find some flaw to prove that Jesus was not anyone to be followed. So, Master, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And then Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. And he says this, On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. What Jesus is saying there. We know how complex and cumbersome that law was that came by Moses. It was it was a, a, a pain. It was just detail after detail after detail of things you had to tend to. Jesus said you can fulfill all of that by honoring these two commandments. Love the, God, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then love your neighbor as yourself. You satisfy all the law. Jesus said that I came to fulfill the requirements of the law. When he died and took upon himself the punishment for our sin, all of the requirements for the law are met for those who put their faith in Jesus' work. Otherwise, we're still bound by the law. If you don't accept Christ and his finished work at the cross, yeah, then you need to try and live perfect. And guess what? No one can. There is none righteous, no, not one. So the law of Christ is loving the Father with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength and loving our neighbor as ourself. So when Paul says here that if we bear one another's burdens, we fulfill the law of Christ. Well, the Bible says if you love your neighbor, we just read it says if you love your neighbor. Loving our neighbor, folks, is not a fuzzy, warm feeling. Loving our neighbor are actions. It's what we do. It's doing what we do as the Lord directs. It's not just doing what we think is right. Follow the Holy Spirit. Have discernment. God's given the church discerning gifts to know that which is authentic, to know that which is not, and to do that. For if a man think himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Man, have I done that. But let every man prove his own work, and then shall he have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. For every man shall bear his own burden. Let him that is taught in the word communicate unto him that teacheth in all good things. In other words, he's saying if, you're, if you have teachers who are teaching you in the word, support them, help them along. And then verse 7 says, Be not deceived, God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man sows, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption, and he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap everlasting life. And let us not grow weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap. 
So the context is bearing one another's burdens, and the burden that we are all struggling toward, the thing we're all struggling for, is to sow into our lives good seed. The thing we're all struggling with is to sow into our life good seed, good habits. Good habits. Those are seeds. They are seeds that will produce over and over and over again. See, the flesh is that part of the human being that is still contaminated by sin. Yes, you're saved, but you did not detach from that old nature. That would have been great. I like that gospel a lot better. Wouldn't it be great if just because you believed on Christ, all of your weakness went away? There were no more temptations. You could just... Excellence? We wouldn't have to preach on it because that would be the way we live. Yeah. We all know that isn't what happened. But we are all struggling toward excellence. And in my life, excellence has come under assault. It's come under assault. I have grown weary in doing things good in things that seem unspiritual. I believe that the church in many instances is languishing in powerlessness because we are not excelling in life. I believe our attitude and our approach to how we live is less than excellent. The Bible says, whatever we do in word or in deed, let it be done unto the glory of God. Sounds like excellence to me. Sounds like living a thoughtful life. In fact, the Bible teaches that. Live thoughtfully. Be prepared. When it comes to money, which is probably, Jesus talked more about money than just about anything else. That offends a lot of people because... We think that it's all these... And they do. Those televangelists will reach out and grab your money. I I know it. But it doesn't discount the fact that it's one of the most addressed subjects that Jesus dealt with. Money. The things of this world, the wealth of this world. Faithfulness in these areas, in how we spend our money, in how we spend our time, how we live our lives. It's a big deal. Jesus exhorted us to always entertain strangers. Because you never know, it could be an angel. I mean, that's not the sole reason. You know, you're not going to take, well, it could be an angel. No, we need to have a mindset that says, I love you and I want to help you. But the thing is, you never know. In doing that, you may be entertaining an angel. And when angels show up, amazing things happen. Don't want to miss that. But a mindset of sloth is the antithesis of a mindset of excellence. And God is calling us to excellence. And in this passage, Paul is encouraging people that when it comes to helping others do good, to sow good seeds in their life, to encourage them to do what's right, and when they're having struggles, to pick them up and to help them back on the right path. Don't grow weary. When it comes to helping other people, don't grow weary. 
Now let's go to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. Second Thessalonians, man, I'm having troubles talking, I apologize. Second Thessalonians chapter 3. I've got to find a place where I want to jump in here. Okay, let's just... Um, let's go to verse 6. Chapter 3, verse 6. Now we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw yourselves from every brother that walketh disorderly and not after the tradition which he received of us. What that word disorderly means, it literally means following the word of God that was delivered to them through the, through the apostles. So if he says the tradition he's talking about are the precepts, the principles. And what did, the, what did they say about this? Um, uh, who was it? Peter? Peter or James? I can't remember who said. These things that we're teaching you, it's not secondhand. We saw it with our own eyes. We touched it with our hands. They're saying this that we're passing on to you is true and it is real and is right. And they have written it down because the Holy Spirit inspired them to do so. And we today have those same admonitions as the people in the day that they wrote them had. The Thessalonians who they're writing to are receiving nothing more than what we receive today. It is the inspired word of God encouraging us. So now we command you, brethren... That way you withdraw yourselves from every brother. And who is he talking about? He's not talking about the world. The world is going to do what the world does. They don't know Jesus. It's talking about the one who comes within the four walls of the church and refuses to be transformed by the power of the word. That's a strong and a harsh thought. It's way too hard for the church of today, which wants to make everybody feel good about themselves right where they're at. And you don't need God to change you. You're fine just like you are. Yes, you are saved. I believe that the moment you accept Jesus Christ, the truth that He is the one who God sent as the ultimate sacrifice for our sin, you are saved. But the Bible says we are being saved. We are drawn into the kingdom and then the flesh and the world is being drawn out of us. That's called sanctification. And that is a process. And when we have a slothful spirit, we're not going to endure that. We're not going to endure change because it's uncomfortable. It requires a discipline where I say, I'm going to get up and I'm going to live my life in an orderly way. The Bible says to live your life in such a way that you can entertain. That's where I started to go. Entertain strangers. Draw people in your house. Jesus said, uh, you, you, did, you did love me. You did serve me. And they said, Father or Lord, when did we love and serve you? He says, when you saw me naked, you gave me clothing. When I didn't have a place to say, you stay, you brought me in. Wow, that sounds really inconvenient. But Jesus is saying, that's how you love me, is by loving people. And living a life that is put together in such a way, and and for pastors and leaders, 
We're supposed to live a life, and it says one of the qualifications of a pastor or leader is to live their life in such a way that their home is an open door. That you can bring in entertaining is what it is. We've got to be good entertainers. Not singing and dancing, because that would be really horrible. But <laughs> hospitable is the word. I love the fact that it, the word it says we got to be that a leader should be given to hospitality. And isn't it interesting that the hotel? I know I've said this before, but the hotel industry is called the hospitality industry. And four star, five star hotels, man, they spare no expense in just the look: marble floors, crystal chandeliers, high vault and ceilings, marble columns. Ornate woodwork and uh, gold and silversmithing and, I mean, just amazing stuff. You walk in, it's like, wow, have you ever been? I've never stayed in one, but I, I have peeked in when we were in San Francisco into a really nice, oh, beautiful, stunning. I've seen pictures of it in the course of my work. They go to, they spend, or spare rather, no expense just to make you say, wow, I want to be here. I want to be here. It's worth $500 a night <laughs> for a regular room, a single bed. I want to be here. And then it doesn't stop in the foyer or in the entry, in the lobby. The hallways, plush carpets, beautifully painted rooms, well-lit hallways. Now, in the nicer hotels, it's, it's even better. Some of the regular hotels that I stay in, it seems like the ceiling's coming in on your head. You know, they're so low and... You know, there's not really a lot of flash and, and, and uh, any of that kind of thing going on. But in these other hotels, I mean, we stayed at that Disney hotel when we had it um, several years back with uh, Debbie's family, and uh, it was beautiful. They really went the extra mile to decorate those places in a way that would make you know that you're in that magic kingdom. The bed was amazing. Best bed I've ever slept on. Beautiful bed, the, all the furnishings, everything. And what did that do? It just drew me in, and I wanted to be there. There was a s excellence there. There was excellence there. It was a wonderful place to be, and I wanted to go again. How about my life, though? Is my life speaking that way? Does the way I live, when people... I'm not, I, I'm not even going to go there. I started to really indict myself. Oh... Uh. Wow. Oh, it hurts. When you drive by my house, is that a place that says welcome? Does it look like a place you think God lives? I'm sorry. I'm not trying to make a point. I'm just feeling a lot of anguish and pain. I'm not kidding right now. Because it's in this very area for me that I have dropped the ball. I've allowed the excuse of busyness. I've allowed other things to come in and to say, ah, you don't need to deal with that. But really what's been at war has been this attitude of excellence, which is a God attitude. If God had not had an attitude of excellence, the earth and the solar system we live in, the universe that we live in, would be falling apart right now. In fact, he would have stopped at one. One universe. He didn't. 
now with our technology, the mic microscope, the telescopes we have, they know now that there are billions. I can't comprehend a billion of it, but there are billions, plural, of galaxies. That's our God. Excellent in every way. 90, uh, 19th Psalm says, The heavens declare the glory of the Lord. They declare His personality, who He is. So I just felt like tonight that God is wanting to encourage us, folks, because the things that, and then I'm going to pick on Christy, and she said, I feel hopeful. That hope is here. God wants to do great things, but folks, it will not happen in, in an environment of mediocrity. It will not happen in an attitude of mediocrity. And it begins at home. It begins in my personal life. Living excellently. It's hard. It is. Living a life of discipline is hard. Now, why did God curse the ground and tell us we needed to work? Because our flesh needed to be put down in, in place. It needed to be put in order. If you don't corral your flesh, your, your, your uh, sinful nature, it will rule you. Bill Johnson says, what you tolerate will dominate. Think about that. What you tolerate will dominate. And I can testify that in my own personal life. Places where I used to push and I used to strive and I used to not be weary in doing that which is good. They were well. Things were good. It was work. It was a constant battle just to keep it together. But when you let it go, Mm. It's not good. Some of us are wanting to be have an excellent spiritual environment while our natural world is in chaos. And Paul says, and the second thing in 2 Thessalonians that we're talking about is weariness from dealing with those who won't. Because he's talking, he says, I hear there are those around you who are living a disorderly life and you're not working you're not eating. You're not carrying your weight. The Bible says we can grow weary from people who can but won't. The first weariness was people who, helping people who can't, who would but can't. The second weariness is dealing with those people who can but won't. Lazy, slothful. People who don't carry their weight. So Paul says, and, I, and like I said, I've never noticed this before, but this phrase, don't grow weary in doing well, it's found in both of these contexts. And both of them have to do with a mindset of excellence, discipline, faithfulness to God. Now, I, I just want us to be encouraged because I really believe this. I don't know if any others of you have struggled just doing life excellently and you're aware of it and you know certain areas perhaps where there has been a war I want to tell you that that is not separate from your spiritual aspirations the hopes and the dreams that you have of the glory and the purpose of God being realized in your life start there if you're not faithful in unrighteous mammon. In other words, God says, I'm going to give you stuff. I'm going to give you a job. I'm going to give you the ability. Uh, first of all, before I give you the job, I'm going to give you the ability to work. I'm going to give you the ability. The Bible says that God is the one who gives a person the power to gain wealth. 
say, well, I'm not wealthy. If you're getting a paycheck, you're gaining wealth. And God's the one who gives you the power to do that. Some people have power to get 100000 a month. Some people have power to get 1000 a month. But whatever it is, God, first of all, gives you that ability to show up to work. You may not have a lot of natural gifts to be able to do other things, but you can show up, you can be there, and the work, uh, that's all it requires. Others have extreme gifts where they can uh, create and do crazy things, and, and so their pay is higher. It doesn't matter. God is not interested in how much you make. What He is interested in the fact of, what are you going to do with what I've given you? What are you going to do with what I've given you? And that's where that mindset of excellence comes in. Because, folks, as long as we're willing to compromise on this issue, we will never dream with God. We will never dream with God because we're willing to settle for what we have now. We will never be open to the infinite that God has. God has great things for us. But our minds and our spirits will never be able to perceive it if we don't handle the mundane mammon. Now, not everybody's the same. What God wants you to be faithful in is not the area perhaps that he's taken me to be faithful in right now. It may be later, or I may have already been through it. The fact is the Holy Spirit is going to take you on a journey. I believe even as I speak right now, you know there are things that are coming to your mind. Don't dismiss them because you say they've always been there. It's just me. No, it's not you. It's the Holy Spirit. And it's important. The hope that we have, those great things that God wants to do, starts right here. If you're faithful in little, I'll give you more. Sort of a parallel thought, but the Bible says bodily exercise profits little. Many people say, well, God's saying I don't need to exercise. No, that's not what he's saying. He's saying it, it profits little. And really, when you consider just, the, it profits a lot. But the point is, by comparison to what the kingdom is, it's little. The infinite blessings of God, those health benefits are really small. And those health benefits are not small. They're not small. You can avoid heart disease and, and diabetes and cardiovascular uh, and musculoskeletal diseases. You can avoid a lot of things just by exercising. You can feel better about yourself when you look in the mirror. You want to ask whose blanket this is when your pants are spread out on the bed. <laughs> okay, that was funny, wasn't it? <laughs> when did we get a new denim bedspread? Those are your pants. There's profit there, but compared to what God has for us, it's little. See, God has a way. In fact, he talks about faith this way. He says, faith is like a grain of mustard seed. It's the smallest of all the herbs. And yet if you tend to it, if you build it, if you farm it, if you steward it, it will grow to be the, like the greatest of all the herbs. So tall, in fact, that birds can build their nest in it. Now, herbs are normally low ground-hugging sort of plants. They don't get tall. But when it comes to faith, he says that it just shoots to the sky. It grows and does great things. Just let God encourage you today and me. I need your help. I'll be honest with you. 
It's hard to pursue excellence alone. It's hard to pursue excellence alone. When you work out, they recommend having a workout partner because it'll give you a sense of accountability and encouragement. You have somebody say, come on, brother, get up. It's 5 o'clock. Let's go to the gym. You've reached the voicemail. (laughs) That's too late for that. But we need to help each other. This is not the purpose of the message, but it just occurs to me. Right now in the church, we've got many projects that need to be done. It's an excellence issue. Remember, the, in fact, I hadn't even thought about this connecting. When, when I, even before I stepped into pastor here and I was considering the church and everything was going on, God just kept showing me the, this building, showing me things, showing me the, a vision for, uh, and I didn't think it was my vision, so I didn't prepare for it that way. But when I stepped into past, pastor and I started praying for direction, God kept giving me the building. I'd be praying, I'd be down here for hours saying, God, give me direction. And I'd find that as I'm praying, my mind would be thinking about the ceiling that was falling in and the broken panes of glass and the, everything that was gone. The fact that we got this ugly mess in this heat and cool thing that freezes you in the front and you're sweating in the back. I was thinking about all these things. We got this uh, heat foyer that's not heated and cooled. You walk into whatever, the, it's, whatever it's like outside is what you're walking in. First impression is that. This is what I kept thinking. I'm saying, God, forgive me. Forgive me, Lord, I can't stay focused. And I did this for about six weeks, praying for direction. And finally, in sixth, the sixth week, it was just like, hello, that's the direction. Take care of the building. Take care of the property. I said, well, Lord, what does that have to do with your vision? I believe it's right here, folks. It's about adopting a mindset of excellence. Are we willing, like it says in, is it Malachi. Why is it that you live in your sealed houses while my house lays in ruins? It's an attitude that says, I'm just going to take care of my little bit and I'm just going to do what the bare minimum to get by. And when I do, and what's really funny about that is that they say that if you want to get something done, give give it to busy people. Because people who don't do anything seem to never have time. But busy people seem to be able to have time. People of discipline, people who have developed the discipline of learning how to get things done. Listen, there's a difference between being busy and being productive. I'm busy. (laughs) How's that for confession? Good for the soul. Why don't I feel better? There's a difference between being busy and being productive. God wants to make us productive. How many of you know that production has always been the mark of the blessing of God? Your vineyards will grow lush and green and their branches will bear much fruit. Keep challenges in when it comes to the tithe. I dare you. I double dog dare you. Give me the tithe and see if I don't pour out on you a blessing that you cannot contain. Does that sound like something less than excellence? That's our God. And I believe, folks, that one of the things, and it's, this is not a small message, and I'd be surpri- I wouldn't be surprised at all if God doesn't lead this to be a theme that we preach over and over again. I'm just following the Lord this afternoon, drawing me into this subject, but I tell you, folks, I believe it's absolutely essential. Absolutely essential. 
Does this make sense? It does? Yeah, it does. It does tie into the message this morning. Wow. See, that's just more proof that I tried to listen to the Holy Spirit because I, I wouldn't have thought of that. But yeah, it does tie in. This should be actually a very exciting message. I think that this is a key message, a message that's going to provide uh, some momentum where some of us have been stalled. It's just taking care of the mundane things and with an attitude of excellence. I'm not just going to do it halfway. I'm not just going to be sloppy, but I'm going to think of how would person I know in my you, you may know somebody that doesn't do things very well, but who's the best person in my life I know, and how do they handle this part of their life? And I'm going to do that and then try and do more. Who are the best? Do you realize that some of us have been given in our life some of the greatest resources in our family and friends because they achieved success, they, achieved, they did things well, and we've been placed near enough to be able to know how they do what they did, and God has said, that's part of what I've given you. What are you going to do with that? Are you going to build on that? Or are you just going to let it lay? It's an interesting thought, isn't it? Who do you know in your life who has been successful? I believe that God has put within our circle people who are good at something as a model for how to handle ourselves in our life. And when I say successful, I'm not talking about wealthy necessarily. Some of the most successful people I know in my life were in terms of money poor, but they were successful. They had wisdom that just blew educated people out of the water. I think of uh, some of the things Grandma Donaldson is, uh, I, that here's an like they said of Peter, ignorant and unlearned, but man, some of the wisdom that this woman had came from a relationship with God and stewarding that saying if I'm going to have one thing in my life I'm going to do well, it's going to be that. And that's the other thing, making the first thing that we do with excellence, listening to the voice of God. That's the first thing. Thank you, Lord.